Shalom, Reverend John Ferret, and we are in Lesson 2 of the Saga of Yosef ben Yaakov, Joseph, the son of Jacob, or, as we are very familiar with him, Joseph of the Many-Colored Coat. This is part of the continuing series in the Gospel according to Moses in the book of Genesis, and we're at Lesson 84. In this lesson, we'll be focusing in on Genesis 37, verses 1 through 14. So it really begins the Joseph story now. And the key thing is, well, actually there are two key things that we're going to learn. Number one, we're going to learn as we go through this saga of Joseph, that Joseph was in God's hand, no matter what circumstances, even if Joseph didn't feel it or experience it at the time, like when he was thrown in that pit and then sold to the Midianite or Ishmaelite traders. Fact is, he was in God's right hand. But again, we're going to find that that lesson is also true for us. You can go to Psalm 18, verse 35, or Psalm 63, verse 8, or Psalm 139, verse 10, all written by David. And God is inspiring David to teach us that God is holding David in his right hand, and maybe even us as well. We go to Isaiah 41, verse 10. God is speaking to Israel. And God says, do not fear, for I'm with you. Do not anxiously look about you, for I am your God. I will strengthen you, surely I will help you. Surely I will uphold you with my righteous right hand. We too are in God's hand 24-7. No matter what, whether we're facing good times or bad times, whether we're in good health or even dying, he holds us in his right hand. And in the saga of Joseph, this truth for Joseph, this truth for Israel, and this truth for us is so apparent. This leads us also to the second thing that we're going to learn in the saga of Joseph. It begins when Joseph's 17. And in Genesis 37, verse 3, we find that the Torah teaches us that Joseph was loved by his father, Yaakov, Jacob, more than his ten brothers. And all of this was used by God, the good and the bad, to get Joseph to Egypt. This was God's plan. Little to this 17-year-old, immature kid get it. To save Israel, Jacob, and his family. But on top of that, if we take a look at Genesis 41, verse 57, and Genesis 45, verses 5 through 8, we see that indeed Joseph tells us that God sent him not only to save his family, to save his dad, his brothers, and their wives and their children, but also the whole world because of the famine that was everywhere. So, in this lesson, a second major thing 
that we're going to learn is about God's paradigms. Now, paradigm from the Merriam-Webster dictionary means pattern, a model, a template, or a prototype. These are all synonyms of the word paradigm. A pattern, a model, a template, or a prototype. And over and over again, God seems to use many events and sometimes people for two specific purposes. It's like the first Passover. The Passover of Moses. And the rabbis say Moses was like the first redeemer. In the first Passover, there was the Passover lamb. It was sacrificed. The blood was put on the wood. The wood of the doorposts of the house. And we read in Exodus 12, verses 12 through 13, that God spares them from his wrath that was poured upon Egypt. Then we come to the early first century AD and we talk about the Passover of Messiah. The Passover of Messiah is fitting the template, the prototype of the first Passover, the Passover of Moses. The Lamb of God, Jesus, the Messiah. Rabbis would say the Messiah is the ultimate redeemer. Moses was the first redeemer. The Messiah is the ultimate redeemer. The Lamb of God was sacrificed and the blood was put on the wood on the cross. And we're saved from God's wrath, as Paul teaches us in Romans 5, verse 9. So the first Passover, the Passover of Moses, is a unique, awesome event. It stands on its own. But God uses it as a template, as a model. It's, it's a paradigm. And it shows us that it's a model for the future redemption of Jew and Gentile in the ultimate Redeemer, Messiah Jesus. The rabbis recognize this. They have a phrase that adequately describes God's paradigms. In Hebrew, Chaye ha'avot hem simanim le'banim. Chaye ha'avot hem simanim le'banim. Lives of the fathers are signs for the sons. In other words, Yahweh's paradigms that God uses many times. He uses events and persons seemingly in two ways, like we saw in the first Passover. I recommend that you take a look at a, another podcast, actually a vidcast, a video that I've done called The Mirror of Passover. It's entitled Truth Nugget 17, The Mirror of Passover. E easy to find, go to the website, www.lightofmenorah.org Light of Menorah, treat it as one word and please remember that Menorah is spelled M-E-N-O-R-A-H Go to the website, look at the top of the home screen and you'll see the words YouTube channel click on that when you get to YouTube for the YouTube channel for Light of Menorah click on playlists and from there find the playlist for Truth Nuggets and then look up Truth Nuggets number 17, The Mirror of Passover.
So from the days of old, the days of old in Judaism, Joseph was considered a prototype of the Messiah. And that's a synonym for a paradigm. As we've seen that I just mentioned in, in Merriam-Webster's dictionary. So in this lesson, we're going to see Yosef. His name in Hebrew is Yosef. We're going to look at his life, the things that he faced, the things that he did. And the life of Yosef is a sign for the future. He's a prototype of Yeshua. Yeshua the Messiah. Yosef is a prototype, a template of what it means to be a savior of the world. We're going to begin to see the connections between Yosef and Yeshua, Joseph and Jesus, just like Jesus taught in John 5.39. All scripture testifies of him. And in the story of Joseph, we're going to see this come true right in front of our own eyes. So ready? Come. Let's go study. read Genesis 37 verses 1 through 14 and again I'm reading from the Jerusalem Bible from Koran Publishers so in 37 starting in verse 1 and again all the way through 14 and Yaakov dwelt in the land in which his father had sojourned in the land of Canaan these are the generations of Yaakov Yosef being 17 years old was feeding the flock with his brethren and the lad was with the sons of Bilhah and with the sons of Zilpah, his father's wives. By this is very interesting. Zilpah and Bilhah are now called wives. Why? Rachel and Leah are probably dead. Rachel's dead for sure. Leah is probably dead too. Because a concubine now can take the status of wife. But before they couldn't. So that's probably an indication that Leah has now passed on. And Yosef brought to his father their evil report. Now Israel loved Yosef more than all his children because he was the son of his old age. And he made him a coat with long sleeves. And when his brethren saw that, their father loved him more than all of his, all of his brothers, they hated him and could not speak peaceably to him. And Yosef dreamed a dream and he told it to his brethren and they hated him yet more. And he said to them, Here I pray this dream which I have dreamed. For behold, we were binding sheaves in the field and lo, my sheaf rose and also stood upright. And behold, your sheaves stood round about and bowed down to my sheaf. And his brethren said to him, Shalt thou indeed reign over us? Or shalt thou indeed have dominion over us? And they hated him yet even more. I mean, this is getting bad, okay? They really hated this kid. And he dreamed another dream. And he told it to his brothers. How stupid can you be? I mean, it doesn't, I mean this kid's got no common sense at all. He's a teenager. He's 17. Okay? And, and, and the 16-year-olds are supposed to vote? Okay, tell the story about Joseph. Okay? <laughs> behold, I have dreamed a dream, and behold, the sun and the moon and the eleven stars bound down to me, 
and he told it to his father. So now Jacob gets, gets part of this. And to his brothers, and his father rebuked him and said to him, What is this dream that thou hast dreamed? Shall I and thy mother and thy brothers indeed come to bow down ourselves to thee to the earth? And his brothers envied him. But his father kept the matter in mind. And his brothers went to feed their father's flock in Shechem. And Israel said to Yosef, Do not, uh, do not, do not thy brothers feed... And he said to Yosef, Do not thy brothers feed the flock in Shechem. Oh, okay. This is kind of a direct translation from the Hebrew. Do not thy brothers feed the flock in Shechem, and I will send thee to them. And he said to him, Here I am. And he said to him, Go, I pray, see whether it be well with thy brothers and well with the flocks, and bring me word again. So he sent him out of the valley of Hebron, and he came to Shechem. Okay. First of all, we're going to study the actual reality of the story of Joseph without any indications of Jesus. But the thing is, is that why is Joseph hated? Well, the first thing, he's a snitch. You read it right in here. He went to his dad and he told on him, Dad, Dad, the boys are swearing. Dad, Dad, they're not, they're not taking care of the sheep. They're playing with girls. I, I don't know what they're doing, but he's a snitch. Now, my wife and I had a discussion about that and she was the youngest in her family, and she was the snitch, okay? And she was telling me that she never wanted to be alone in the house with her brothers because she said they would kill me because she was the snitch, okay? So she was saying that this, when I was, we were reading this, and she was just said, that's my life, okay? And she could tell how her brothers and her sister uh, resented her when she snitched on them. So could you imagine that? So first of all, the guy's a snitch. Um, and it, the question is, you know, how would you feel? And here's the other thing is, this guy's a spoiled punk. He's no hero. This kid's a punk. And this is real life. This is what I like about this. The Torah is talking about real life, real people. And do you realize that God picked a punk, a 17-year-old little creep, to be the savior of the world? What? And aside, he picked Jesus who had no earthly father, born in a stable, they had no money, nothing, to be the savior of the world. This is the beginning of those amazing correlations. Anyway, we go on. Why is Joseph hated? All of a sudden, Jacob says, Joseph is the son of my old age. I love him so much. Wait a minute, what about Benjamin? What about Benjamin? Benjamin is the last, he's the youngest. We don't know how old he is. We know Joseph's 17. And I don't know if we could actually go into the scripture like we did a little earlier to try to figure out how old Benjamin might be at this time. But why not him? Is it possible, okay, is it possible that Jacob associates Benjamin with the death of his wife, his beloved Rachel? I mean, that's how all of this got started. This beautiful, beautiful girl in Haran. And again, from a physical point of view, Jacob was totally attracted, and that's how it all got started. And he had fallen in love with her, and it's the whole story of Jacob and Rachel. And Loya was always back there, second behind. Could it be? We don't know. Joseph would have been the firstborn. I want you guys to keep this in mind. Laban tricked Jacob. And as far as Jacob's concerned, Joseph is his firstborn, not Reuben. 
because he got tricked. You're wait. Okay, we'll come back to this, Carolyn. It's going to be months from now, I know. And I'm going to say, and if you're still here, I'm going to say, do you remember when you brought that up? Hey, this, this will come back to haunt us again. So, the son of his old age, and it was almost like his only son. For Jacob, Joseph was like his only son. And it could very well be, Carolyn, what you just said, he looked upon him as the firstborn, not Reuben. But Reuben legally was the firstborn. Now his brothers knew this, and Jacob, but and Jacob was a terrible dad. He's letting them know how his. I mean, you talk about a terrible dad. Poor, he was a terrible husband, and now he's a terrible dad. I want to go to Dr. John Kareed and his Torah commentary on Genesis, and he mentions the Hebrew in here, which is very important, and he says this love that Jacob had for Joseph. The separateness of Joseph is accentuated in Hebrew by the comparative term mean. In Hebrew, it means more than. It places Joseph in a singular position, one that is distinct from and superior to all the others. I mean, Benjamin, a son of Rachel, wasn't even, couldn't hold a candle to Joseph. And all the brothers knew this. The brothers also saw the coat of many colors. Now, it does, the Torah doesn't say that, okay? That's in the Septuagint and some other places where it says the coat of many colors. And they hated him. In Hebrew, the coat of many colors is called ketonet pasim. And Sarna, in the JPS Torah commentary, he says that this can actually be found in the Bible, in the Old Testament, it was worn by royalty. It happened, it would be worn by the virgin daughters of a king. Okay? Now, I'm not trying to say that Jacob is dressing Joseph up in girls' clothes, okay? But the thing is, this is royalty. And so, Jacob's making a statement. It may also indicate a special so social standing. Now, Carolyn, you're going to love this, okay? Your mind was just in line with the Orthodox rabbis. So I checked with the Orthodox Jewish rabbis to see what they had in terms of their view of this tunic. Such a tunic was a mark of leadership. Yeah, it is. Okay, that is leadership, royalty, that type of stuff. For after, Now, here it is. Carolyn, you're going to love this. For after Reuben discredited himself by tampering with Jacob's bed, Remember what he did? He slept with Bilhah. Because he didn't want her to supplant Leah, his mom. Jacob elevated Joseph to the status of the firstborn. They agree with you. And made him the tunic to symbolize his new position in the family. Could it be? These guys make a point, And like I said, this is going to come back and haunt us again. You'll see what I mean later on. I think these guys are onto something. Number four, Joseph has dreams. Now, I have dreams. I had a dream last night, and I'm not going to tell you it because it was really stupid, okay? And it's a waste of time. So he has these dreams, and he can't shut up. He's got to blurt this out. He tells his brothers, and it says they hate him even more. Now, just as an aside, when you actually study the ancient Near East, 
you find out that dreams, okay, were considered a mean of divine, divine communication. And one of the things that they said, if the dream happens twice with a similar, um, similar theme or similar symbols, then you're saying, uh-oh, this is important. If it went three times, four times, seven times, okay, remember Pharaoh? He had a double dream, okay, with similar theme, similar symbols, okay? That's the ancient Near East. That's how those people then looked upon this. So he had these dreams. Now, Jacob is part of this now. He gets to hear about the second dream. He really gets upset because he realizes he's created this monster, this Joseph monster, this arrogant little torp, okay, who snitches on his brothers and everything. He realizes this kid's in trouble. They get him alone. They're going to probably do something to him. He's really upset. However, there's a key verse in here that we read in Genesis 37, 11. Jacob kept these matters in mind. He was musing on this. And I was thinking about that, and I said, wait a minute, this makes sense. Jacob had two dreams. The first one was at Bethel when God said, I'll be with you, I will be your God, I will bring you home. The second one, and remember, after that, he set up a standing stone, a pillar, and poured oil on it, okay? Then he had a second dream, and the second dream, God kind of said, it's time for you to go, because I'm the God who spoke to you at Bethel, where you set up the sacred pillar. And Jacob is saying, wait a minute, I had that. Look at the dreams and where God brought me to. What's going on with my son? He's probably scratching his head, something's going on. At least this is a way of looking at it. Because now God, the God of his fathers, the God of Abraham, and the God of Isaac, his dad, is his God. He knew the dreams were used by God. And we come right back to Genesis 35, verses 27, 28, and 29. We talked that they're chronologically out of order, but it could very well be that that is a, those set verses are there to show us that God keeps his promises. And now Joseph with two dreams? Jacob is probably really wondering what in the heck is going on. However, we go back to the rabbis, Maimonides, the rabbis in the Talmudic times. We remember the statement. We don't know what rabbi said it. Maybe in Jesus' day the rabbi said it. The lives of the fathers are signs for the sons. In other words, our predictions for the future. God has a paradigm for a savior. God has a paradigm for he who is going to bring salvation and restoration. The paradigm of God's savior, and the rabbis see it in Joseph and David. They said Joseph is like the suffering one, David is going to be the conquering one. And the suffering Messiah is one who's going to save Israel, but dies before the final restoration. And we saw that, that Joseph did die before the final restoration. That had to come through Moses, a second redeemer. And then there's the conquering Messiah, like David. And by the way, that conquering Messiah rises up unexpectedly. He was the youngest son. Remember that? And then for a number of years, I know one person told me it was probably 10, maybe 12 years uh, that it did. He was chased by Saul who wanted to kill him. He rises up unexpectedly, becomes king of the great king, 
the great king, uh, and he is the great king of the kingdom of Israel. So Joseph's saga is a paradigm of God's idea of a savior. In other words, you want to see a savior? This is what I have in mind. So we remember John 5.39. John 5.39, Jesus says, all scripture testifies of me. So let's take a look at these connections between Joseph and the Messiah. And this is going to go from chapter 37 to chapter 50. We're not done with this. This is good. It's, it's just explosive. Now what I'm going to do is I'm going to introduce you to Elhan ben Avraham. Elhanan, actually, Elhanan. And those of you that may want to get the spelling, it's E-L-H-A-N-A-N, Elhanan, ben, meaning son, Avraham, the son of Abraham. Elhanan ben Avraham. He is a Torah teacher. He is a Messianic Jew, Christian Jew. And he wrote a book called Mashiach ben Yosef. In other words, the Messiah, the son of Joseph. He is from Netevia Bible Instruction Ministry in Israel. They're not here, okay? Netevia. Let me spell that for you just in case. You may want to go there and get some of their material. N-E-T-I-V-Y-A-H. Netivya. Okay? Netivya. It means the path of God. The way of God. Netevya. Bible Instruction Ministry, Israel. Let me read the back cover to you. In the Jewish worldview, not the Christian worldview, okay? I just like that. They're teaching about the two messiahs way before we even came up with the fact that Jesus is coming once and coming again. In the Jew, uh, Jewish uh, worldview, Joseph the patriarch has long been understood to be a prototype of the messiah. Stop. Prototype. If you take a look at the definition of prototype, a prototype is a model, a pattern, an original example. Prototype can almost be considered a synonym of paradigm. This blew me away. The Talmud speaks about the Mashiach ben Yosef, the Messiah, the son of Joseph, and his death as a suffering servant who would bring partial redemption to Israel and pave the way for the coming of Mashiach ben David, the Messiah, the son of David. And so now we begin to see this correlation. And let's just take a look at this first part. Joseph is loved above all the others in a very unique and separate way. There are four Bible verses which I'm going to give you, one from each gospel. This was brand new to me as I was doing a Bible search. I had never seen this before. You'll see how cool this is. Matthew 17, verse 5. My son, whom I love, listen to him. Matthew 17, 5. Mark 9, 7. Mark, 9, uh, Mark chapter 9, verse 7. My beloved son. Luke chapter 9, verse 35. My son, my chosen one, whom I love. John 3, 16. My only begotten son. For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son. Guess what? Begotten. Only begotten. That's the wrong translation. Begotten is, comes from a Greek word. The Strong's number is G3439. And if I pronounce it correctly, I think it's pronounced monogenes. Monogenes. I think that's the prop pronunciation. From the Thayer's Greek lexicon, okay, 
The better way of saying only begotten, because it's two words in English, only begotten, but it's only one Greek word, monogenes. So you got two English words coming from one Greek word. It base, better is the only one, the one and only, the unique one. In other words, in John 3.16, for God so loved the world that he gave his one and his only son, the unique one, the special one, the one who is separate from all others. Just like Joseph. Now what's interesting, I just gave you four statements by God in four of the Gospels. It covers all the Gospels. The beloved one, my only begotten son, all this type of stuff. However, let me show you what God does even more. In Luke 9.35, there are three statements in Luke 9.35. You can read it. The statements are, my son, my chosen one, listen to him. Okay, those are the three. And Jesus says in John 5.39, all scripture testifies of me. What scripture? Torah and the prophets. Luke 9.35. The idea of God sending my son is in Psalm 2, verse 7. When God says, I'm going to send my chosen one, it's in Isaiah 42, verse 1. And when God says, I'm going to send a prophet like Moses, listen to him, Deuteronomy 18.15. In one scripture verse, in Luke 9.35, God gave you the entire Old Testament to show you Jesus. So I gave you four verses that cover the New Testament and one verse with three phrases that covers the writings, the Nevi'im, the prophets, and also the Torah. I think that is so awesome. Can you imagine Jesus doing the same thing to the good two guys on the Emmaus Road? Don't you remember when God said, in some, and all of a sudden they're seeing this over and over and over again. So all four Gospels and the Torah and the prophets and the writings and all the scripture, all scripture testifies of me. John 5, 39, just amazing. So this is interesting. Joseph is loved by Jacob in a very singular way, more than anybody else, almost as if he was his only son, almost as if. But Jesus, when we talk about this, the same thing. I mean, the scriptures are testifying. They're screaming at this. Joseph, part two, he's hated. He's hated by his brothers. He's a snitch. He's loved by his father's mother. It just goes on and on and on. John 15, 25. In John 15, 25, what do we find? Jesus is saying, they hated me without cause. In Matthew 26, 63 through 68, we read this. But Jesus remained silent. And the high priest said to him, I adjure you by the living God, tell us if you are the Christ, the Son of God. Jesus said to him, you have said so, but I tell you from now on you will see the Son of Man seated at the right hand of the power and coming on the clouds of heaven. Let me just stop. He's giving them a vision. Like a dream. Just like Joseph. He's giving a vision to his brethren to his countrymen, just like Joseph. Then the high priest tore his robes and said, he has uttered blasphemy. What further witness do we need? You have now heard his blasphemy. What is your judgment? They answered, he deserves death. Then they spit in his face and struck him, and some slapped him, saying, prophesy to us, you Christ, 
Who is it that struck you? In that phrase, Jesus uses the phrase, the Son of Man. There was a very popular book, not a biblical book, okay, part of the Apocrypha, that was written in Jesus' day, okay, the book of Enoch. Now, Enoch didn't write it because Enoch lived like, you know, 80,000 years ago. But the thing is, is that it was a pseudonym. We don't know who wrote it, okay, but he used Enoch. Now, the book of Enoch, when you study it, and they knew this in Jesus' day, the writer of the book of Enoch basically used the phrase, the son of man, over and over and over and over again. Just like Daniel used the phrase, the son of man. And so, therefore, from the book of Enoch, in that culture, the Redeemer was coming and he was going to be divine. Do you understand when you read these verses that I just read, Jesus never says, I'm God. He says, I'm the son of man. And the high priest tears his robes. Yes. And he said, you blasphemed. Why do you blaspheme? Because you declare yourself God. He did it using the book of Enoch. Even though the book of Enoch is not biblical. The symbolism is. And everybody was using that idea that the Son of Man, okay, in Jesus' day, is going to be some sort of divine redeemer. And last, for tonight, his brothers were jealous. Genesis 37, 11, they envied him. They were jealous. And in Mark 15, verse 10, the high priest, it says, delivered Yeshua up to be killed because he was jealous. So it is quite amazing. These are just so many obvious connections between Yosef and Yeshua. It's like in Genesis 37, verse 11. Matter of fact, I'll read verse 10 and 11. Joseph is talking to his father and his brothers about a dream, and he said, he, Joseph, meaning related it to his father, and to his brothers, and his fathers, and his father rebuked him and said to him, What is this dream that you have had? Shall I and your mother and your brothers actually come to bow ourselves down before you to the ground? In verse 11, his brothers were jealous of him, but his father kept the saying in mind. And for Jesus, we go to Mark 15, verse 10. And it talks about the high priest when they had, or they talked about, yeah, they talked about Pilate and how the crowd was before Pilate and they were to choose between Barabbas and Jesus. So in verse 8, the crowd went up and began asking him to do as he had been accustomed to do for them. Pilate answered them saying, do you want me to release for you the king of the Jews? In verse 10, for he was aware that the chief priest had handed him over because of envy, or a synonym, jealousy. Again, this is one small example of God's bigger template. And we're going to see that bigger template as we get to the end of Genesis. We're going to see that pattern. We're going to see the truth of what the rabbi saw of the paradigms of God in the Tanakh, in the Hebrew scriptures. That is so captured in that one statement, 
חווי חבות, ההבות, הם חסמנים לבנים. The lives of the fathers are signs for the sons. Now, this podcast, if, depending on who you're accessing the podcast from, is below the podcast, someplace below the picture, I don't know where it would be, you should be able to find links to two specific articles that I've linked you to, and that they go into more the paradigm of God with regards to the saga of Joseph to show the links between Jesus and Joseph. One of them is the 60 links. It's a great summary. But another one is a link to a Messianic Jewish site called netevia.org. Netevia means the way of the Lord. This is a Messianic Jewish site. These are ones who believe that Jesus is Messiah, Lord, Savior, God. And the link will take you to the store, and the link will take you to a book by Elhanan ben Avraham. And the book that he wrote is Mashiach ben Yosef, Messiah, the son of Joseph. And Elhanan ben Avraham is using a phrase that was used in the Middle Ages, wasn't used before. That Messiah was going to come and he was going to be basically coming twice as Mashiach ben Yosef, the Messiah, the son of Joseph, the suffering servant, and Mashiach ben David, Messiah, the son of David, the conquering Messiah. But Elhanan ben Avraham shows us the connections between Yosef and Yeshua, between Joseph and Jesus in an extraordinary detailed way. There's over 140, 145, 150 different connections. Wait till you see it. So we're going to be seeing more of these key aspects of Joseph as a model, as a template of the coming Messiah. And I'll be using many of those links in Elchanan's book. We're going to come to face to face with God's amazing paradigm. But another thing we have to take a look at is on top of that, who did their brother sell Joseph to? Did they sell Joseph to the Midianites? Or did they sell him to the Ishmaelites? That's, that's a question. It seems like there's two different groups there, and it, it's, it's difficult to understand. Now, is it possible that the Midianites and the Ishmaelites are one and the same? In other words, could it be that Midianites are only part of a bigger group called the Ishmaelites? Or the reverse, the Ishmaelites, are they part of a larger group called the Midianites? In other words, so they were the same. Is it possible? One of the things that you learn in Bible study is the Bible interprets the Bible. Many times when you're looking at a verse in one location, there are other verses that help explain it. That's what's going to happen here. Just wait till you see this. I'm going to take a look at an amazing verse that helps us, perhaps, give us a view of understanding this question. So, until then, I will see you in Lesson 85.
And we'll remember in Luke 24:50 that Jesus lifted up his hands to bless his 120 disciples before he ascended the Father, just like the high priest daily lifts up his hands. It could very well be that Jesus blessed them with the ironic blessing. I've taken the ironic blessing and I've turned it into a prayer. I'd like to end our session with that blessing, that blessing that's based upon the high priestly blessing that God gave to Moses, to Aaron, to bless the people. Yevarekeinu Adonai Vishmarkeinu, Yair Adonai Panava Aleinu, Pekunekeinu, Isa Adonai Panava Aleinu, Viasem Lanu Shalom, Vishem Yeshua Adonainu, Amen. So together, let's say this in English. May the Lord bless us and keep us. May the Lord make his face to shine upon us and be gracious to us. May the Lord lift up his countenance upon us and may he give us his shalom. In the name of Jesus, our Lord. Amen.